You know, there's a lot of talk around Christmas about hope. We have uh, made it our theme uh, this week or this this year in Advent. It is often a conversation and a thought process at Christmas. Uh, it is certainly something that we need, we desire to have in the midst of 2020. And quite frankly, it should be our conversation. There's no greater hope than the coming of Jesus as a baby who would live for us, who would die for us, who would rise again for us, who would ascend to prepare a place for us. Further, there is no greater hope than knowing that this same Jesus is coming back for us and will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and that we will live with no sorrow or pain in heaven forever. There is hope in that truth. Amen? But (laughs) sometimes these past tense and future tense realities miss our present tense struggles. Have you felt that? That we might smile at the sentimental picture of a baby in a manger, that we might look forward to the royal return of Christ, but we still find ourselves searching for something in 2020, something in the present to give us hope. I think that's why the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 10, verse 23, these words, words that you know that you have now memorized because they're all over your house and on your mirror and in all places, right? But let me help you, right? In Hebrews 10.23, we have learned this verse. So I'll give you a short phrase. You can repeat after me. I promise we won't be married after that happens, right? All right, so so here, here we go. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Ah, that's a present tense reality of hope in the midst of struggle. The people that he wrote to were in struggle. We feel that struggle. And so the author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering that he who has promised is faithful. And it's why this Christmas we've been thinking together about that verse and about the confef- what the confession of that hope means. Uh, again, I'm going to uh, give you a cheat sheet on the screen, but in week one, we talked about what? Honesty. So the H of hope was honesty, and we said that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be able to say that the reality of this virus stinks that, that our sin is real, that our brokenness is real. Because when we are honest to those things, it gives us space to have hope in Christ who comes to redeem and to restore those things. Last week, uh, in my absence, thanks for praying for us, uh, but Matthew wonderfully steps in and uh, gives us the O, which is... 
you're brilliant. I, I, can't, I can't believe how well you've memorized these things and, and, and done that, right? So, yeah, providing a opportunity, knowing that there's something more than our stuckness. Uh, uh, what will preach what's stuck in my mind from Matthew's sermon is, is there is a witness that comes from our weakness. That'll really preach, right? That, that, that is, that's good stuff, right? And the reality that, that God has purpose for all of us, even as he had purpose for the shepherd. So th- this week, we come to the P, and it's, let's see how really good you are, the, the prophets that you are. What is this week? Oh, man, it's unbelievable the spirit of God is falling upon you. All right, so the reality is that we're, we're talking this week that we uh, are empowered, our confession of our hope is that we're empowered in perseverance. And perseverance can be seen in many places in the Christmas story, certainly from the prophets to Mary and Joseph, but I'd like to land this morning on a story that we actually know little about, but that we can see, I believe, some extraordinary perseverance. And it's the story of the Magi. So if you would, take your Bibles this morning. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, If your Bibles or your electronic devices to Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses, the story of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen now, this is the word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, literally magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And may God help us in our understanding of his word. Now when we come to this story, uh, there are some things that we need to always correct. And I correct it for us every year, but it's been told to you for so many years, it's going to take a lot of time to get it out of your system. Are you ready for this? I'm going to burst your Magi Christmas bubble. You you ready? The Magi were not at the manger. crazy reality, right? So here's your homework for today. That cute little manger set that you have at home. I want you to go home and I want you to take the wise men and take them across the room to someplace else because they were not there, all right? So, so here, here, 
bursting your bubble. While I'm bursting your bubble, let me also say to you that we have no idea how many there were. I know there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, must have been there. Three guys, right? They even named them in history. But we have no idea how many wise men there were. And then this final bubble burster, and maybe this is the most important, they weren't kings. In fact, I'd like to suggest to you that they weren't even all that respectable of men. You ready for that bubble to be burst? They, they were magi. A couple of weeks ago in our study in Acts, we saw a similar character whose name was Simon, and he was a magi. He was a magician. He was one who majored in magic in order to gain the trust of the people so that he might, what, manipulate them to pay for his services in telling the future, probably through even the study of the stars. Like those zodiac things we still have in the paper that try to tell us what our future is going to be. That was the reality of the Magi. Simon, if you remember from a few weeks ago, was after the magic of the disciples. But not for the glory of God, not for anything good, but for his own well-being. As a result, he gets a very condemning report from Peter. So... That story of the Magi in Acts is more resembling the reality of who these men were that came from the East. They were men influential, no doubt, right? Uh, They they were there to uh, go to the birth of kings, not in order to worship them probably, but more to manipulate them and get in good standing with them and their people so that they might get more money from them. Hear that. And so you have this picture of our Magi in Matthew 2. They were looking for the edge, and as a result of some ancient documents written by a guy who you know, his name was Daniel, They recognized the birth of an influential king, the king of the Jews, through a bright star in the east. And so a gaggle of them set out to see him. They were not perfect Sunday school attenders. They probably weren't even good Jews. More than likely, followed a religion called Zoroastrianism. You can Google that later. Listen, they they weren't evil men. I don't want you to get that. I'm not trying to paint them in a bad light, but they were not the well-dressed regal kings that we sometimes see in our history. But listen, the reason that I think they're in Matthew chapter 2 is because they're persevering. Because they're persevering. And I think we can learn three important things from them as persevering men. Three things that are important to the confession of our hope. Just maybe one of the reasons that they are here in this story and our text for this morning. So three lessons. You ready? Lesson number one. Lesson number one. Seeking Jesus is a long journey. Seeking Jesus is a long journey. As the Magi set out in search of the king... They had to prepare for a long journey, probably close to a thousand miles of hard terrain. Again, probably not on camels, 
but hard terrain. They would face certain danger. They, they had these gifts, and, and people, when they saw the Magi traveling, knew that they would carry expensive gifts. And so there were looters that waited for these kinds of men to come along the way. The terrain is rough. The looters are a reality. The risk is great. They've left their homes for a long period of time to travel in order to see the king. They pack up, and they prepare for the long haul, and they set out. And it makes me ask, am I prepared for the journey that is before me to seek out Jesus? As much, listen, as much as we've been led to believe that the Magi were at the manger, we have often been led to believe that our journey to Jesus somehow ends with our conversion. And and we often lack what it takes to discover so much more about our king. I feel like sometimes we prepare for a sprint in our spiritual journey and are left weak when we realize that the journey is actually a marathon. The scripture is full of references that instruct us to persevere in our seeking of Jesus beyond knowing him as our savior. Scriptures that indicate that seeking Jesus is a journey, a long one, often a hard one, and one filled with risks. Three verses, sections of scripture for you uh, this morning. Uh, First from Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. And you'll see words that I've underlined, bolded, and italicized so that you begin to see the journey in these things that uh, here the apostle Paul has written. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, what's he say? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here in that the verbs seek and set are verbs of an ongoing journey. Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Indeed I count everything as loss, says Paul, because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. Should be poop, but We've cleaned it up a little bit. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may what? Know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a journey. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, (laughs) or that I'm already perfect, but I what? Oh, that I journey, that I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here, the more that I know about Jesus, Paul says, the more everything else takes a back seat. So that I press on, I journey to know him more. Then finally, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It's his benediction here in 2 Peter. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But, what? 
grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. May I suggest that we often lose our perseverance when we lose our awareness that this life of following Jesus is a long journey, a journey of knowing him more, a journey of pressing on, a journey of growing in his grace and in his knowledge. But finding the king is not a one and done thing, but a process of God revealing himself to us in every circumstance. You know, marriage is so cool. I would uh, recommend it to anybody. Right, uh, and, and it so often uh, reflects to us in, in our daily lives the reality of the things that we need to see and understand in our spiritual lives. And it's certainly uh, true in respect to the journey that we are on to know Jesus. When I met the woman who is now my beautiful wife, I, I walked into Sunday school. I'd been told about her, right? She was this good-looking chick, and I needed to meet her, right? So I, I walk into Sunday school class. What a better place to meet your future wife, right? Walk into Sunday school class, and, and I knew, right? Short term, I knew I needed a date with that girl, right? Right? And, and then I had a date or, or two, and then I knew, right, that I needed to marry that girl. Here's the problem. We were 16 and 17. They frowned on those kinds of things at that age, right? So there, there was a journey to be had, in getting to the place of marriage. But there was this sense of knowing her more. She was my adventure, right? And and over those years, and then I married her, and I thought, well, this is the culmination, right? This is the one and done. I finally arrived. I'm still learning to know her. And she, me, it is an ongoing adventure, right? Uh, We've experienced all kinds of things together. Having kids. Now having kids who are having kids, right? And and all of these things add into the adventure that we have together. And that reality, and those of you who are married know it, right? Some of you are going, you've been married to her for 33 years. You've known her for 39 years and you still don't know her? Yeah. Yeah. But, but get it, I've been a believer in Jesus most of my life. I can give you the date and time in eighth grade when I made him my personal Lord. But it wasn't one and done. Every day there's something new that I learn about who he is. This thing of the Christian journey, this thing of hope is a lifelong adventure. Are you, are we on a journey to seek Jesus? Do we ask ourselves as we get out of bed every day, what am I going to learn about Jesus today? Are we being intentional about a daily pattern to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our King? Perseverance comes in the hope that we have that God has us on a long journey to know Him and experience Him. As the wise men set out to seek a king, we are to set out to discover this king in our everyday lives. 
that our perseverance comes in knowing, listen, that we are not failing when we don't get it, but we're learning in the ongoing adventure of who Jesus is. And our perseverance will be strong when we know that the Spirit of God leads us on this journey and leads us in such a way that we will make discoveries about Jesus with every leg of the journey, including this leg called 2020. It's a long journey. Lesson number one, seeking Jesus is a long journey. Lesson number two, losing sight does not mean losing hope. I want you to hear this. This is maybe my Christmas aha moment this year. You ready? Lesson number two, losing sight does not mean losing hope. Look in the text. The Magi see the star. So there's somewhere in the east, right? Far away from Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And they see the star, which, by the way, this is a free parenthetical moment. Did you know that this Friday, uh, two planets, I'm going to forget which two they are right now, but are aligning, and they're going to create this bright light in the sky that, that may be reminiscent of the reality of the light that the Magi saw. And it hasn't happened for 800 years and won't happen again for another like 700 years. Don't quote me on those time frames, but it's a long time, right? In the midst of that. That's just free. So maybe check the sky on Friday to see if indeed that's on. Where was I? Oh, so here they are. They're, they see this bright light. It's some kind of astrological wonder, right? There is a bright light in the sky. And so what they do as good magi, right, and as good astronomers is that they, they mark the path. Where is this light over? Which seems a bit confounding for me who's not a scientist. But they discover that it's over Jerusalem. So they set out. But don't miss this. When they get to Jerusalem... They ask, where is this king? What does that tell you? That the light is not to be found. That, like that star, that light that was in the sky that showed them one way to Jerusalem. I, I know we have this picture of them crossing the terrain going, oh, there's the light. Here we go. But can you imagine that a cloud may have rolled in? Can you imagine that an astrological wonder doesn't last for weeks and weeks and weeks? It kind of happens in a night and goes away. Can you imagine that the star would go away? Can you imagine the fights the Magi had on the way? No, it was this way. No, it was that way. Can you imagine the confusion that would take place in the midst of losing sight of the star? That when they get to Jerusalem, they've got to ask, where is the king? To which nobody knew, which probably was a bit surprising. And so they dig out some old books, probably the books that Daniel had written. And they say, ah, it is in Bethlehem. That's just six miles or so up the road. And so they go. And probably, I, I know preachers have a million favorite verses in the Bible, but one of my million favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew 2.10, that as they set out... What do they see again? The star. And what does it say? They went, oh, look, there's a star. No, listen, it says, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now, if my health was better, you would see what rejoice exceedingly with great joy might look like. 
right? But can, can I just do a... Right? I mean, listen, there's at least five or six exclamation points after. They, it's like, like the, Matthew couldn't get it out as to how cool it was. Like when they described it to him, that they rejoiced exceedingly. That would have been pretty big, right? But there's more to it than that. With, with great joy. Why? Because the light that they had seen, which they thought was their God, had disappeared, but now has come. And here's my point. The wise men, in their perseverance, that even when they lost sight of the star, they didn't lose sight of finding the king. They didn't get four steps down the road going, oh, clouds rolled in, we should probably just go home now. They didn't get to Jerusalem, and when everybody was confounded, they said, oh, maybe maybe we should just go home. No, listen, losing sight of the star did not cause them to lose hope in finding the king. Have you ever been in a place that you thought you would see God through his ability to get something that you wanted? Those statements, God, I will follow you if you do this, God, I will follow you forever if you get me a great job, if you get me a great spouse, if you make the spouse I have greater. Some, that was a joke. Some, some kind of prosperity, something making me healthy again, and, and then it doesn't happen, right? And all of a sudden, you experience what? Doubt. Too often, we put our hope in stars But when the stars go away, we lose hope. And we lose our perseverance to find the king. We must remember that it was not the star that was to bring the Magi hope, but it was the king. Listen, dreams and desires, they are good. In fact, they are great. Oftentimes, they are stars in the sky that inspire us to seek after Jesus. But they can never, the stars can never become king. Because there may be a day when we lose sight of them. We must remember that losing sight of the star cannot cause us to lose sight of the king. That when life does not hand us what we want, we must refocus on finding the king. Let me upset some of you. You ready? A vaccine is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Right? Listen, that's not an anti-vax or a pro-vax or any kind of X-lax statement. That's, That's nothing but saying biblical truth, right? The vaccine is not the answer. But look around, read the news, everybody's focus is vaccine. I'd say, man, good on you. But Jesus is still my hope. Listen, Mr. Biden or Mr. Trump is not the answer. Jesus is. Jesus is. Listen, you know how much... My heart yearns for racial equality in this land, that we can see each other, red, yellow, black, and white, and know that we're all, what, precious and inside. You know how much I love to chase down that reality. But listen, racial equality is not the answer. 
Jesus is. If we set our sights on anything else other than Jesus, we will ultimately lose hope and cease to persevere because these things are not meant to be the answer. It's like the praise song the Waymaker suggests. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Even when we can't see that you're working, even when we can't feel that you're working, what? You never stop. You never stop working. So when we can't see him working in our lives, we must take a lesson from the Magi who didn't give up hope in finding the king even when they lost sight of the star. Instead, what did they do? They asked. When they were lost, they said, where is the king? Lesson. When we lose sight, we need to ask someone that we love and trust that we know knows the king, help me find again the king. Help me to refocus upon the thing that will bring me hope. And then trust that as we regain our focus, that Jesus might miraculously bring signs again that point to him. Signs, heck, that might even make us rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Can I ask you, when you lose sight, do you lose hope? If so, then your hope is probably short-sighted. Jesus is a hope that even when we lose sight of him, he never ceases to be faithful. Hold fast, without wavering, to the confession of hope and persevere. Lesson number three, quickly. Obstacles can be overcome. First, seeking Jesus is a long journey. Second, losing sight does not mean losing hope. And lesson number three, obstacles can be overcome. King Herod was an obstacle for the Magi. It would have been tempting for them as one who was, uh, as, as a group of people who were always trying to seek the influence and the affirmation of kings. It would have been tempting for them to stop their search and settle for a lesser king when they got to Jerusalem. It would have been tempting to try to serve Herod while trying to serve Jesus by returning to Herod to tell them where Jesus was. But in both cases, they overcame the obstacle. So this is where Rick kind of throws his translation into the translation of the Bible. So I often tell you, those of you familiar with Lost in Space, warning, Will Robinson, warning, Will Robinson. Don't go to work tomorrow and say, my pastor said this is what happened. That's your pastor. Some of this is biblical. Some of this is not in the Bible. But this is how I like to see it working out. Are you ready? That these magi selected by God, I believe that's biblical, and empowered by God, I believe that's biblical, to face their obstacles. That the spirit of God is what led them to persevere through the temptation to settle for a lesser king in Herod. And this led them to Jesus. Where they entered the house and they have a significant encounter with God. We've not told that. But we are told they what? They see Mary and the baby and they kneel before him and worship him. They offer their gifts. And then they obey God rather than Herod and go home a different way. So here's my conjecture. They, they are now believers in Christ. So excited about this Jesus whom they found, much like the shepherds that Matthew talked about last week. 
and they return to what is now modern-day Iran and Iraq, and they all become church planters. That's not in the Bible. But in their newfound faith, they give birth to a church where a church doesn't exist. And listen, a church in a land that still faces extreme obstacles but a church that flourishes in Iran and Iraq as some of the most, the fastest growing church, some would say, in all of the planet. An underground church in a land in which they're not allowed to worship Jesus. They are on fire in the underground church to make much of Christ. In my perfect ideal little world, these magi were the beginning of that movement to overcome obstacles. I can't prove it, but I tell the story, which has some chance of being somewhat true, that we might see that our perseverance in the hope of Jesus does overcome obstacles. And we do have obstacles, don't we? Week one, we talked about it. We were honest about our obstacles. Listen, we have settled for lesser kings that have become distractions to our worship of Jesus. And we have attempted to love other kings while we still try to love Jesus. Oh, do we have obstacles. But hear this, we have a king who empowers us to overcome our obstacles. The preacher, even this one, often tends to preach sermons of you gotta do this and you gotta do that. And we need that. But we always have to undergird that truth with the fact that Jesus has already gone and done what we gotta do. He empowered the Magi to overcome the obstacles. How do we overcome obstacles? Well, we keep reading Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. A truth that I want to believe with all my heart that the Magi got as their lives were transformed. A truth that we need to hear as we strive to persevere in the hope of Jesus. Hear the Apostle Paul, what then shall we say to these things? What, if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or Herod? No, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. Thank you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, says Paul, listen, hear him, on it, if there's one thing I know, I know this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think that covers it, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oswald Chambers defines the call to spiritual perseverance this way. He says a call, it is a call not to hang on and do nothing, 
but to work deliberately. Hear that? When the preacher says you got to do this, got to do that, that's part of it. We're not just to hang on and do nothing, but we're to work deliberately. But work knowing this with certainty that God will never be defeated. Also in that same devotional, Chambers says this, perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. Obstacles come, but obstacles can be overcome. Our Herods can be put in their place. And the confession of our hope will persevere because God has gone and done what we got to do. Maybe a cool story to wrap us up this morning. A story that might encourage us in these things. Anyone here ever hear of the man named Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball. Probably not. You know why? Because all Edward Kimball was was a Sunday school teacher at the Congregational Church of Mount Vernon near Boston, Massachusetts in the mid-1800s. He had a bunch of snotty-nosed kids, just a bunch of rowdy boys that he taught in Sunday school every week. But every week he persevered to tell that group of boys the gospel of Jesus. There was one that Kimball said this about. He says, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him, that I've seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his <laughs> when he came into my Sunday school class. And, and I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church, the one that was interviewing him for membership, seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth still less to fill any extended sphere of public usefulness. <laughs> Not flattering words from your Sunday school teacher. Do you know who he was talking about? Dwight L. Moody. Those of you who don't know Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist who led thousands and thousands to Jesus. In fact, in his lifetime, Moody led a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman himself became an evangelist who converted the famous preacher, Billy Sunday, who actually preached in the old sanctuary upstairs at one point in the history of Covenant Church. Billy Sunday, during his evangelistic meetings, led a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham to Christ. That name may be familiar to some of you because it's Mordecai Ham that led Billy Graham to Jesus. Bruce Kimball. Who is he? I'll tell you who he was. He's one who held fast to the confession of his hope without wavering. For he knew that this useless guy named Dwight just might be used for the glory of God. Today, few people remember Edward Kimball Yet because of his faithfulness and perseverance, God used his efforts to set off an incredible chain of events that saved tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Listen, the journey to Jesus is lifelong. 
And in that journey, we sometimes lose sight of the stars and face many obstacles. But we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because he who promised, he who promised that we would be more than conquerors is faithful. May we always be preparing for a long journey. May we always focus on the hope of Jesus even when we lose the star. And may we be overcomers working deliberately knowing that God will never be defeated. Let's pray together. God, may it be. It's not my words that will inspire anyone here today to persevere. but it is your spirit. And so we pray together, come Holy Spirit to those within the sound of my voice, either through streaming or those who are gathered here in this worship place. God, there are those who are struggling because they've lost sight of the star. Those who struggle because they fall short on their confession of hope. Uh, But may we learn from the Magi. (laughs) And may we receive today your abundance who makes us more than conquerors, who says that you will never separate us from your love. That we indeed would hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. We would persevere. That you would meet us in our needs you provide for us in our weakness. That you'd encourage us, God, to in this Christmas season and in this difficult season that we now face, to never give up because you have never given up on us. That we today would run into your arms. <laughs> you who who are good, you who are love, you who is light, who is here, that our hearts will sing of no other than Jesus. May that be our vocal confession even today. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Will you stand?